Hello, everyone. This is Barack Lurie, and this is the Barack Lurie Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. And with me, of course, is my producer and friend, Ari David. Always a pleasure. We have got some exciting and uh, interesting news, as always. Uh, we live in interesting times, as they say. Um, I suppose one of the most interesting uh, bits of information just now, and we'll, this is during the time of the VA scandal. And I was just listening on the news report now that, that it turns out that the VA has actually more money now per patient than it ever had. And yet uh, it's clamoring for more money and such. So what is the reason for this? It turns out, what is the reason for the alleged shortfall in money? They're paying bonuses to all these people, to, to the administrators. Uh, never mind that they're not doing any work. They're just paying bonuses. And that's, it, it's just kids in the candy store when it comes to public entities, right? You know, there's, there's nobody is accountable. Why do we do what we do when we could do that? You know, you know, that's I, the question I, I have. I got to tell you, I remember when I was in, in um, law school, I'd heard about uh, people working for the government, um, let's say the Securities and Exchange Commission, or the DA's office, uh, and so on. And they, they keep on using phrases like, I'm a G4, and uh, what are you, a G3, or something like that. And apparently these are, these are nomenclatures that they use within the government to indicate what their salary is automatically, right, and what they're entitled to. Everything is about entitlements. And uh, they, they, you know, they talk amongst themselves about, you know, the good news that they've just been elevated to G4 or whatever, okay? So, and I'm thinking about this, and what does this all mean? They get these pensions that uh, they all feel very excited about, but no one ever is accountable for this. It's, I mean, they get it as of right at some point, and some supervisor elevates them naturally to that position and that entitlement, but that supervisor in turn, it's, he's not looking at any bottom line. He just thinks, you know, I think Frank has done an outstanding job. Everyone's patting each other on the back, and uh, as a consequence, getting these bonuses and getting these elevated statuses. Very odd, this whole thing, but it's, it's not surprising either. Look, if you want to see where public health will be in 10 to 20 years, assuming that Obamacare is not repealed or otherwise minimized, then look no further than what's happening with the VA scandal, right? I mean, it's the, here's the VA medical center um, operations designed solely to help veterans, and they can't get that right. Not at all. This is a limited group of people. It's not the entire nation. These are veterans that we're supposed to honor and cherish and to show respect to, and uh, we're just letting them die. And, and, you know, the 40 or so people that died because of the slowness in the, the care that they received, that's just the tip of the iceberg, Right. I mean, what about all those people that have not died, but have just, you know, are living very difficult lives or sometimes miserable lives with a lot of pain because the VA is just not taking care of them, right? I mean, who's, who's going to be responsible for these people? Nobody, nobody's responsible. Anyway, it's a, it's a shock to the system, but, but, but it'll be okay with Obamacare. You know, this, this, I, I think the VA is the closest thing, right? You, you have well. There's there's actually two. Yeah. There's the VA and then the healthcare system, the lovely healthcare system, American Indians in the reservation system receive, which oh, is gosh, you're absolutely right. That's a great such example. a nightmare. You can't even imagine. Yeah, that's that's a very good point. Um, that's a very interesting point. Um, 
It, it has never worked, has it, that there's been ever... Well, it does work. You know, because if they, liberals will normally say it doesn't work because there's no money. Right. Right, the same way they talk about public schools or any of these other things we've discussed ad nauseum. But the money is there, and it does work, but it goes to all these administrators in their make-work paper-pushing jobs. I heard with the VA the other day, they changed the criteria for approval for payments from either a two- to seven-step system, you know, deciding does a person need it, is the treatment approved, here's the payment, you know, three, four, five, six, seven steps, to a 21-step system so that the administration superstructure would have more work to do to justify ever higher salaries and bonuses. Isn't that interesting? That's very interesting. Kind of like if you were mm-hmm. not an honest lawyer, you'd have more administrators pushing paper and then sending clients billable hours for uh, this need a stamping, that need a stamping, right. that need a staple. It, we, we, that would be called churning. Um, you know, churning basically is uh, illegal, of course, and, and to say nothing of unethical of um, billing clients for matters uh, that either never happened or overcharging in terms of time. Um, you know, so you spend uh, 10 minutes reviewing a document, but you charge you know, an hour for reviewing that document. That's churning also. But we see so much churning in the, uh, the government level. Incredible. I mean, that's what the $700 hammers were all about. Remember that? Yeah. And that was back then, before inflation. Now now a $700 hammer is no doubt $7,000. Yeah, but at least the military has a, an arcane procurement system that is designed to have some accountability. That makes some. it hard just to buy a hammer from Home Depot. So you can sort of understand why those costs might go but haywire, but still, people aren't going to die if you spend 500 yes. versus 20 bucks for a hammer. That's right. This is people dropping dead or living their lives in agonizing pain because they're not receiving pain-killing medication. You know, it's all wonderful when uh, you have to deal with a bureaucrat as to whether or not he'll give you your license to conduct your business in a particular state. What happens when you get a bureaucrat deciding whether you receive medical treatment? And, and you know, if you're 85 years old... And you need uh, some sort of chemo or some sort of severe operation to deal with your prostate cancer. Um, And he says, you know, we only have so much in the way of resources and we're going to uh, not give it to your dad uh, who's now 85 years old because, you know, there are some others who are younger who have a longer life. And I'm saying, sorry, Charlie. And uh, some people might call that a death panel, for example. I know that sounds like an an incredibly uh, bizarre thing. Nobody would ever refer to it as such. And uh, it would never, it it probably never never would happen. I I dissect some sarcasm. Yes, yes, you are hearing sarcasm emanating from the Barack Lurie podcast. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, look, Sarah Palin got it right. Um, And it doesn't take a rocket science, uh, scientist. I think she, by the way, she's very bright. Um, And she also has a tremendous amount of common sense. You know, you don't have to like the way she says something. She's very frank and to the point. Um, but you know what? She, she got it right. Do you know how accurate she was, which is so funny about all this? The reason she even mentioned death panels as a potential... And remember, this was during the time Obamacare was being constructed and debated. It wasn't even passed at the time. So no one knew what was in it, according to Nancy Pelosi. But Palin cited a pamphlet in a process within the VA system called Your Life, Your Choices, which was encouraging families to reject treatment for older patients under the idea that it would save money for the government. 
and she rightly called that a death panel. Ironically, we're dealing with essentially death panels in the VA hospital system today as a scandal. She was so prescient that she even knew the area of medicine that this emanated from. Isn't that interesting? Um, look, death panel, of course, that's what's going to happen. Whenever The famous expression about government is if the government were to take over the Sahara Desert, there soon would be no sand, right? And it would be flooded. Be, you know, maybe that's the best way. You want water. Um, but there would be no sand at the end of the day. They just, they're so good in their mismanagement. They're so effective in mismanaging. That's really, they're brilliant in mismanagement. The ways that you and I would never think that something could be mismanaged, they find a way. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Just give us a shot. They're highly Bird. competent at That's it. right. Yeah. Highly competent in their incompetence. Look, uh, we're not saying, you know, you and I, neither of us are anarchists by any stretch of the imagination. Um, we have different degrees of libertarianism. I think there is a role for government. So do you. Um, but um, I, I think government, wherever we look at government, Wherever there's a program, where there's a, wherever there's a department to be considered, your first reaction should be with one eyebrow up, and be, meaning to be very skeptical of the idea. Do not embrace it just because it sounds nice, a Department of Education, a Department of Homeland Security, a Department of whatever. It, it, whatever, think, whatever its intended purpose is, it rarely, in fact, it never works. It just never works. It never helps the very people that it's supposed to help, whether that's Indian affairs, whether that's uh, security, whether that's education, public educators, and so on. It never does. And it's always a waste of money, and it's always corrupt. It's, oh, it, it's always a question of how corrupt is it, right? So I always say, look, before you have an idea, government-wise, or even a policy, a program, minimum wage, for example, before you get all excited about it, Understand that there will always be consequences to it, and those consequences are almost always, in fact, I'll say always, negative. So at the very least, raise one eyebrow whenever you hear about this new program. Be very cautious about it. And, and that's why I think uh, our government is designed in such a way to not only have checks and balances, but to specifically be very difficult to pass laws. Specifically, we, we, we complain about gridlock in Congress. and that's I don't. But I love it. I, and I love it too, because, because, but that's exactly what the founding fathers wanted. They wanted it to be extremely difficult to pass a law. They, 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 don't, they weren't fans of laws. Yeah, which is why we get those $500 hammers with all those weird procurement rules. Right. And you know what? Good. Yeah. Uh, but instead what happens is when we do get laws, um, and there are far too many as it is, um, I mean, thank goodness we have the, the, the amount of gridlock that we do. Can you imagine what would happen if we actually had smooth sailing and that uh, all that needed to happen was somebody have an idea that a couple of other people liked, and next thing you know, you, you've got a law? Kind of like how Mussolini kept the trains running on time. Well, you know, uh, I, I, yeah, Hitler I mean, was able to run the most efficient death camp system ever devised by man, that kind of efficiency. <laughs> well, I mean, it's... It, I might not, take it to an extreme there, that, but you see... It is taken to an extreme, but I understand what you're saying. My, my point is, it's not... I'm not even talking about the, 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 um, the, the, the possibility of things turning into death camps, like you say, which is certainly one of the options, one of the possibilities. Uh, I think what you really are trying to say is that it, it can lead very quickly to dictatorial rule. 
that the 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 conf, sorry the um, the inundation of laws and regulations very quickly leads to paralysis in the economy and ultimately to dictatorial rule. That's what you're saying, and I, I agree with that 100%. And uh, we have to be very cautious when every new law is passed. Would you say that you're an advocate? Because I, I think I, I would say I'm an advocate for highly regulated government, regulated by the people, accountable to the people, minimized in power by the people and yeah. to the people. Sure, absolutely. I mean, I, I think we've said this on this podcast, and uh, we both like limited government and emphasis on the word limited. Um, you know, but it begs the question, what is limited government? Because everyone can, can say that they're for limited government. Even Obama can say that they're for limited government. Even Clinton said the era of big government is over, which is the corollary of saying, I like limited government. Yeah, that's why I think this word regulated might be very interesting. <laughs> right. If liberals love regulation, well, let's have regulated government. Uh, it's, a, it's a cute turn of phrase, but uh, obviously it's regulating for the sake of increasing, increasing freedom. All you're saying is we should really honor the Constitution because the Constitution does provide exactly that. And, and people just don't get this. Now, this, this is going to lead me to my major point for today's podcast. And um, it's about um, conservatives uh, versus uh, the, you know, not every liberal. Uh, this is one of the, one of the points that uh, a good liberal friend of mine has made recently. And I, I think he's right. You know, from time to time, we should emphasize that we're not talking about all liberals. Uh, we are talking, however, about a good portion of the liberals who have a, um, who don't think things through. I mean, right? We always say you, you can never accuse a liberal of thinking things through. Uh, yes, that, I think that's a fair statement, and I believe that. But I am, of course, speaking about the majority of liberal thinking. I'm not speaking about all liberals. There are many liberals, as Dennis Prager famously says, uh, who who are wonderful and thoughtful and, you know, think about consequences and such. Um, but uh, I don't think they think it, you know, where they should be thinking it, but that's another story. But so many of, of liberals, the way they think, uh, they stop at certain points and they just don't want to talk about it. And this is, this is my main point here. When you discuss things with the vast majority of liberals... Have you noticed that you can't get a word in edgewise? That they, that they literally don't listen to you? Okay, what do I mean by that? I mean that you'll try to present an argument as to why, for example, higher taxes are destructive to the economy and are against the very um, high revenues that the liberals claim to want. You try to reason with them, and they'll jump in. Constantly, they, they will interrupt you till the cows come home, or they'll kind of wave their hand at you and dismiss you while you're speaking. It's one or the, one or the other. But I cannot recall the last time I spoke to a liberal in a serious length amount of time, going from point to point to point. You know, I, I can deal with all these points in a span of two minutes per topic. Like high taxes, why that's destructive. High regulations, why that's destructive. Minimum wage, why that's destructive. Why um, subsidies are destructive. Why affirmative action is destructive. Why the, the nuclear family is very important and single motherhood is destructive. I can, I can take each one of those and have a two-minute speech, just point to point to clarify my reasoning, 
and then say, go to the other side. But you can't do that with most liberals. They will jump on you before you can get out of the gate. It's as if they, they cannot fathom the idea that there is an argument to show this because they, they don't want to be logically led down the path because then, you see, they might just get infected with conservative reasoning. They don't want to be hypnotized. They think you're, you're hypnotizing them with your mumbo-jumbo. So I think, I think in many ways I want to call this podcast uh, Conservatives Listen. And I, I don't mean conservatives, comma, listen, <laughs> which is a completely different meaning, right? A comma can, can add a completely different meaning to something. No, I mean that they, they actually listen. And I remember when I became conservative, when I finally realized that I was a conservative, it was the result of listening. And I just, you know, I, I didn't have any dog in the, in the hunt. I didn't, it, it, we talked before about liberal by association, uh, that uh, many people are liberal because they, it's kind of their team and they, they've already dug their heels in and they can't fathom thinking differently. Something big has to happen to them before they, they will change. And the older you get, the harder it is to kind of come back up that road that you went down. Uh, the, more, the, the more daunting the hill is to, to come back up, right? Um, so, for example, you need a crisis. And the, one of the classic examples is uh, a woman I heard on, on talk radio once calling in saying that she had been adamantly against the death penalty and until her brother was murdered. Then suddenly she was for the death penalty. She understood the wisdom of the death penalty. But, you know, hopefully nobody has to go through that kind of crisis to, to change their mind. But it turns out that the, the only way we're going to change minds is if the liberal that you're talking to, and again, this is not all liberals, but the liberal that you're talking to is willing to listen and willing to listen to you thoroughly, not, not to kind of get in his points as if somehow you're in a debate and, and you're trying to make points with, with a judge you know, as, as I do in court, right? I mean, but even in court, I'm allowed to speak my argument and to argue my reasoning why something should happen or why we should win this motion or why we should win this trial. You don't have people jumping in on you. And maybe that's the lawyer in me, uh, the lawyer in me that, that likes to think logically, to, to build the evidence. And I just don't, I don't see so many of my liberal friends willing to listen. When you have that, when you have somebody who's actually listening, you, that's the only time you have a shot. And I'll tell you, you know, we've talked about this before. Uh, I would make the argument that the second you have that, you have someone who's not really liberal. Oh, interesting. In, in the classic modern liberal sense of, you know, that we've talked about here before, you have someone who I consider is classified as persuadable. They may be doing something as, as a default choice on different issues or voting patterns, but they're not liberal in, because part of the definition of a liberal is that entrenched mindset that makes them unable to see the world any other way. Yeah, it's an entrenched mindset. It's a very, very good way of putting it. Um, I mean, I, one of the good examples that we, you and I have brought up a couple of times in, in this podcast is the example of when Obama was running for president the first time and Charlie Gibson asked him, um, you know, Mr. President, uh, Mr. Uh, Senator Obama, he was senator at the time, uh, what are you to say, uh, you know, there's 
seems to be plenty of evidence that the higher you raise taxes, the more uh, crippling it is to the economy, and for that matter, the less you generate in the way of revenues for the government. Uh, what do you have to say to that? And, and is that something that you think uh, should be pursued, i.e. lowering taxes? And his response was kind of dovetails into what we've been talking about, which is, well, I don't want to hear about that. Um, it's all about fairness to me. Now, I'm sure his handlers had, had prepared him for that because he, he sounded like he was prepared for such a question. Anything that related to high taxes, and, and it was a new study that had come out, so they told him, look, if you've got a question about this, this is what you say. But it's, it's a form of not listening, isn't it? Um, because then it begs the next question, well, what is fairness? You know, what, is it fair to... Uh, to deprive the government of all this revenue to spend on these social programs? <laughs> well, that's, that's a good way of putting it. What, what, what fairness are you talking about? Uh, don't you want all this money for the government? What, you know, the conservatives will argue with you what we use with the money, but you're talking about fairness, but, you know, why, why don't we, at the very least, allow everyone to, everyone to share in the marbles? I mean, you're, you're basically saying you're not allowing uh, people to even come to the playground, so to speak, when you cripple them so much with uh, higher taxes. So if that's the case, then why are you doing this? Where's the fairness involved in that? And, and, and even you're saying, well, the fairness, Mr. Lurie, that, that has to deal with you know, the rich paying their fair share. Okay, well, what is that fair share? I mean, you know, the, num the numbers are wildly uh, revealing. The percentage of, of the wealthy, I think, that what is it, the top 2% pay something like the 50% of the, the overall revenues of the, of the country? It's, it's some obscene figure. Yeah, like top that. 10%, 90%, something yeah, like it's, that. It's, there's no it's way obscene. You can, yeah, it's obscene, and there's no way you can argue that that is somehow, um, if, if anything, it's unfair the other way. Um, it, it's, it's penalizing people who are rich. A tiny minority of people. Right. The last thing you would want to do is to, to uh, penalize successful people. But anyway, so that's, that's our argument, and, but they'll never give to you numbers. And then this is, dovetails again into the interesting points that you and I have noticed, that when most of our liberal friends will argue that there should be higher tax rates, and then you ask them, well, what is, what is a tax rate that you believe is too high, right? They don't want to get into that argument. It's, it's a rhetorical question, it's but like, it, it, it begs an analysis. Yeah, it's funny. These people who are so wise, the wizards of smart, who know everything about everything, suddenly become complete ignoramuses and know it, and then can't answer as a reasonable person to the point where they don't even have an opinion, right. whether informed or otherwise. Like you were telling me once about a, a discussion about abortion time limits once, and I think you asked the same question in, in terms of uh, to the liberal person you're having the discussion with as far as an upper limit on the time of the abortion. Well, when is too much? Well, I don't know. How am I supposed to answer? But you answered all this other stuff as fully informed. You know all about carbon levels. Right. You knew all about tax rates and, you know, that until you say this, this, the other. Right. And then they're not. Now, I, I just want to say one thing, though, to give Obama in, in that forum with Charles Gibson a little bit of credit. He actually was answering it more as a standard professional politician slash philosopher and not the standard liberal arguments you and I have on the streets of Brentwood daily in which I'm just going to pull a subject off the top of my head here. The war in Iraq, uh, the arguments would go something like, 
we would say, well, we need to be in Iraq because Saddam Hussein was harboring terrorists, training al-Qaeda, giving money to the suicide bombers, <laughs> possessing capital weapons, etc., right. etc. What do you have to say with that? And the liberal would respond with Blackwater. Yeah, that's or right. Or Halliburton. And, a, and we'd, of course, then respond reasonably. What does an oil production tool consultant company have to do with anything? Halliburton is a company that does is one of the few companies in the world that does something. Iraq has an oil industry. Why wouldn't Halliburton be involved in the Iraqi oil production? Well, it's Bush's father, CIA. It, it, it becomes a whole JFK, Oliver Stone kind of movie script. Right. right. They, 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 these are buzzwords that they like to, to say. Yeah, layers I mean, of conspiracy. Right. Or, or even more simply, the whole – I mean the Iraq war is such a good example of what we're talking about because – Bush died, Bush lied and people died, right? I mean that you know, and then you that then you, rhymes. That, that rhyming is a wonderful thing. Happy wife, happy life, and, and all those things, right? <laughs> so, but but if you if you actually engage people with the Bush lied, people died in the in argument, and you say, well, wait a minute, putting aside the cuteness of the rhyme, um, how did he lie, and did, did that mean the entire world lied with him? It was all was that a big conspiracy? I mean, Tony Blair, who was obviously a liberal. Uh, seemed to be very hot to trot about this. The UN was also uh, on this. Um, John Kerry, uh, during his days, um, during the during the Clinton years, also said this. Bill Clinton said this. I, I mean, it, it, it the logic is just not there for them. But as soon as you point that out to them, and I'm not even you're not even necessarily arguing with them. You just you're trying to reconcile what they are bringing up. I mean, why wouldn't they say Bill Clinton was caught and weapons were dropped? Ooh, I like that. Yeah, I just thought of that one. It rhymes. Yeah, the, the funny thing is that, you know, we, we are both conservatives, but I don't think that – I never viewed myself as a partisan. Let's put it that way. Um, I, I'm not and, – and, and nor are you. Oddly enough, I don't think you are too. I, I think we are – I hate politicians. Right. You and I. All of them. Right. We, we, are, we are very strong conservatives, but only because we, ca- we came there because of logic. We came there because we saw what works. We're not, we didn't assign ourselves to this team because we like, you know, because they're from our town or something like that. Yeah, right? we don't oppose the Democrat Party because of the donkey symbol. Right. We oppose them because their ideas are antithetical with the ideas we think are good for everyone. Right. It, 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 dawns, it dawned on us, for example, that the only thing that really moves civilization forward is the family, right? That the protection of the family and the family unit is what really moves us forward. That the differences between men and women also move us forward and acknowledging that, embracing that. The recognition of good and evil allows us to minimize evil in the world. That, that higher taxes are destructive. And all those things that we talk about so often in the show, we come to these conclusions and, and the conservative mindset, in my, my opinion, is one that eminently makes sense. It's, um, uh, it, it's, a, it's a sensible approach to what works, what is fair, what is moral as well. And, and that, that cuts across almost every line I can think of. There's almost no area of the classic conservative issue, um, issue arena that I... I'm somehow staunchly against um, the gay marriage thing. You know, you can put that, you can argue that all, all day long and such, but I certainly understand the conservative position on that and that to embrace uh, gay marriage as 
as though it were the same as heterosexual marriage, there are going to be consequences. There, there, there will be consequences, and that's an issue for the for the future to decide. And I would also add, I think I'm speaking for but, both but, of us. Let me just one, one oh, other thing, because oh, I, sure. I, I want your thoughts on this. Uh, likewise, on abortion. Abortion was a difficult one for me to finally embrace, but I, I, I listened to it carefully, and uh, someone had told me, look, if we are cavalier about life in the womb, then why should we not be cavalier about life outside the womb? And it was so powerful for me. And, and, and he showed me, look, he, the countries that, that embrace abortion and don't even have a moral question about it, look at them. Look what kinds of countries they are. We want to live in a country that grimaces, that, that uh, makes a face every time they think about the word abortion. They or want, death or suffering. Right. And um, China doesn't have that, for example. Not all Chinese but as a government, it is very cavalier about abortion and life in general. And um, when I understood that, I began to understand the wisdom of the pro-life movement, and I finally embraced it. So anyway, you were going to say something. Well, I was going to say, uh, for, for the issue of same-sex marriage, we as conservatives here, and even uh, speaking for myself, because I don't think we've discussed this before, but there's one area of it which I actually agree with and I understand, which is I agree marriage and family are good. And if a gay marriage, a same-sex marriage, creates a construct of family, is that not a good thing? I would agree, yes, it is. But in the, in the you know, body politic of real, realism, redefining things that work into broader definitions into, that could morph into things that don't work, and we've taught them before, marrying pets, computers, right. et cetera, et cetera, is a very negative thing for the family construct. Right. So I, I don't think either of us have a problem with is people in same-sex relationships living as a family with each other, loving each other, being faithful and, and monogamous with each other. That's all great stuff. Yeah. Um, I heard a great thing about Obama the other day. I think I emailed it to you, which is the Obama doctrine. The Obama doctrine is if it's not broken, if it's not broken, fix it until it is. <laughs> and, and the same-sex marriage issue fits that. Now, not totally, because there are issues with marriage. You know, people who think a, a, a three-year marriage is a long t- too long to right, be married, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, a different kind of subject. But the point is, overall, marriage is kind of one of those things that works. So why should we fix it until it's not? By opening up these definitions. Right. And well, they'll, they'll argue in response, well, what are you talking about marriage works? You know, 50% of people end up in divorce, or 50% of marriages end up in divorce, et cetera, et cetera. But, but look, I mean, as tough as marriage is, it's the only thing that we can think of right now that really advances civilization. It's the only way to ensure stability in the home and, more importantly, for the, for the children as they are raised. It's, it's, and protection for the women. Remember, yeah. marriage is a, a construct. Uh, the this horrible paternalistic, yeah, you know, right. marriage is a way of honoring and protecting women. Right. And when marriages end, what happens here in California? The woman usually gets half your stuff. Yeah, that's a good thing actually because it protects her for right. the years she invested with a guy who wasn't right for her. Which is interesting, actually. This stems from Judaism in many ways. They the um, there's an ancient doctrine which still applies today, the ketubah. And uh, when Jews get married, the uh, man must sign a ketubah, which is a contract. It's a marriage contract that basically ensures that 
and it's really for the woman. It's not for both of them. It's not a mutual exchange of, of rights. It basically says to the woman, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to show you love. I'm going to give you intimacy. Uh, and, and not only that, but also I'm not going to leave you financially strapped either. It, it's, uh, it, it's one of the ultimate feminist uh, documents you can ever imagine. This, this in a time thousands of years ago when the idea of a woman's, a woman having any rights at all was so alien. I mean, really, it's a beautiful system. And, so, and they came up with this at a time, just so picture, people can picture it. Right. Let me paint the picture. <laughs> Caveman with club, carrying, dragging woman by hair after clubbing her. Ooga, ooga, I found wife. Right. And they came up with this? Right. It's that, an, it's, that's what we call progress. It's, an incre- it, it, it's so outside the scope of what was. Uh, and, and this is part of the reason why I'm so, such a fan of the Bible and, and partly why I believe in the truth of the Bible. It rings true. Why? Because the stories and the way the stories are told were, are so different than the stories in all the surrounding civilization of the time. We talked about this before, how the Bible uh, involves uh, the heroes of the Bible are really not heroes when you think about it. They're very flawed characters. They, they do horrible things. They're a bunch of losers. Where is one king who indulged every passion and amassed huge wealth celebrated in the Bible? Right. You know, a king who slaughtered all of his enemies. Exactly. You know? well, no, but, but putting that aside, I mean, even, even the heroes, King David, is, a, is a, you know, the, when you think of the Bible, uh, think of a true hero in the Bible, your, your mind rushes to King David, right? You know, with the Goliath and all that stuff. But no, he's very flawed. He makes major mistakes. And particularly, I mean, a horrendous mistake of uh, leading um, Uriah to, de- to his death so that he could steal Bathsheba as his wife. Um, yeah, that, he, that, that's, that's the, what we, that would be murder. Right. For those who don't know, this would be as if yeah. Bill Clinton had the hots for Monica Lewinsky, and Lewinsky was married to some guy. Yeah. So Bill Clinton had the husband drafted and sent him to some dangerous hellhole, think Rwanda, where he got his limbs all chopped up and bled to death just so he could have her. That's right. That's what, that's, that's what King David did. That's exactly right. And, and, you know, but the point is that it was so outside the scope of the, the, the nature of storytelling back then. Um, and, and also the Bible, all the rules that it requires have, it would be completely antithetical to somebody who's trying to create an opiate of the masses, right? Yeah, if you're trying to keep kosher today, and it's hard today, think about trying to do it a thousand years ago. Right. What a pain in the butt. Well, but, but, <laughs> even, but even more simply, you know, if, you, if, if somebody were inventing the Bible, we talked about this on my radio show, if somebody were inventing the Bible, they would uh, make uh, everyone bow down to a certain a group of men uh, and, and call them the, the, the divine king uh, dynasty, and each of their sons would be the, the kings. I uh, sorry, it would be the, the divine dynasty, right? And you give them all your wealth and all your women, and they can have as much food and such as they want. And, uh, you know, they somehow are the holy of holies. And whenever they walk past you, you are supposed to immediately bow down. That's what you would expect. But no, in this Bible. For a mind control cult. For mind control, yeah. yeah. But, but nothing like that in the Bible. On the contrary, it says man is flawed. Kings are flawed. It says specifically, I don't like kings. Right? It, it actually challenges the very notion of a monarchy. It encourages instead, it encourages freedom. So how does that create an opiate of the masses, right? But we, we talked about this before. I don't want to drill down on it. I'm simply saying this is, this, this is one of the things that led me to, to accept the Bible and, 
and it rings true to me. I, can I prove that it's true? Of course not. But I'll tell you, that's one of the aspects uh, regarding the Bible that I would argue to say this is probably a divine document. That's what I, that was just one of the many arguments. One, but it's a big one too. And and why why do we bring all this up? We're, we're bringing this all up uh, for the sake of talking about the, the the things that are so anathema to to us. The arguments that we are talking about uh, with so many of our liberal friends, and how um, how frustrating it is. And if you're a conservative, and I guess this is where I want to wrap it up with, if you're a conservative, are you experiencing this? Is this the kind of discussion that you have at Thanksgiving dinner or otherwise with your liberal friends where you just can't just seem to get a word in edgewise. You can't break through. You can't, yeah, you can't break through. You're, you're trying to get from point A to point C or D or E, F, and, and to come to a logical conclusion and say QED, yeah, as and they it, say. And in B, I had this experience myself. I know you do too. And in B, they basically threw out the I don't know and I don't care, so shut the hell up card. Right. And you're like, but, but this is good. Right. No, I don't know and I don't care. Give me the potatoes. Right. Yeah. And don't you want, I mean, look, don't you want to know how I think? I've, I've, I've gotten to this point. I mean, in the early days, I don't know, about 10 years ago, I, I was really, I really loved what the epiphanies that I had been learning. And I, and people were somewhat surprised to learn that I was now conservative. And I said, well, why don't you just ask me? Are you curious to know why I am conservative? Yeah. Why do I think these things? Why do I think? I mean, <laughs> but wouldn't you... I mean, that, that, that's how I became a conservative because I asked somebody, said, well, tell me about this abortion business. What, tell me what, I mean, let me reprimand, I mean, isn't, isn't it good to have higher taxes so that, you know, the poor get treated in a minimum wage and all those things? And then they, they picked it apart one by one. And I just thought, wow, that, that resonates with me. I like that logical flow. You know, I, I think I'm conservative on, on that issue. Okay, that issue. Okay, that issue. And it's slowly the door started opening. So if you're conservative, do you experience this yourself? Uh, my guess is that you do. I, 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 my guess is that a lot of our, list, our conservative listeners are nodding their heads. Now, if you're a liberal, listen, uh, and, and bless you for sticking, listen, through, sticking all through all this. 40 minutes of this. <laughs> That's right. And we're not trying to insult you. Uh, really, we're not. I'm no, just, we're trying to help you. <laughs> no, no, but seriously, I don't want to insult our liberal listeners because I know, look, I, I was one of them. I always felt very bright in the process, and I... I still have the same bright mind that I had, you know, that I now have now that I, you know, I had then. That I, that wasn't very brightly said, but <laughs> you get the point. It might be he's saying, ironic. He's saying his brain now works. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> no, no, I'm not. I'm saying I'm saying the same brain now that I had then. How about that? Oh man, <laughs> we should edit this out, but probably not. Anyway, the point is that it's the same brain, right? So I understand the liberal mind. I understand how they feel strongly about these issues. They truly believe in the sincerity of their cause. They're, they're not Machiavellian. They're not, you know, trying to destroy the world, at least not most liberals. Uh, we have some liberals that we, we highly question. Um, the, um, what's the guy, the terrorist guy, the, the Bill Ayers of the world, right? We know that he is very liberal, but, but he's also a very destructive man. Likewise with Michael Moore and so many other people. But I, I think that a lot of them, if you are a liberal that does debate with conservative friends, are you, do you find yourself jumping in and wanting to get your points in? Do you find yourself saying, you know, yeah, Bush lied and people died, or 
um, or the abortion example, um, yeah, you're all hot to trot about uh, saving the, the, the unborn, but as soon as they're born, you couldn't give a crap. Are you saying such things? If you are, um, then or the high taxes, does that mean you don't care about people? Don't you believe in a social safety net? If you are saying these kind of quip responses, maybe just hold back for a moment. Just one time. You, you can, no one's going to, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't feel threatened. You can hold on to your liberal beliefs, but just let your conservative friend speak for a moment. You might find, and again, you don't have to change your position. You're, this is a free country. You just might find, though, that your conservative friend actually has a logical flow from point A to point B to point C and so on to his conclusion that they are not as, at all as wacky as you may think they are. And you might, at the very least, understand your friend a lot better. And at the very least, enjoy your Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> All right, well, folks, listen, it's been a pleasure. All right, talking. This is Barack Lurie. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. You can be the stone. Carries us out.